Right, hello and very welcome to another episode of a Cats Protection Shelter Medicine podcast. Today I've got a guest with me once again and I'll be interviewing Nikki Trevaro, who is a registered veterinary nurse and our cat behaviour manager here at Cats Protection. Hello Nikki and welcome to you. Hi Sandra, thank you. So before we really start cracking on with all the behaviour stuff in particular within the shelter environment, I thought it would be a good idea to maybe for you to tell us a bit more about who you are, where you came from, so to speak, <laughs> and then also how you ended up here at, at Cats Protection. Okay, great. Thank you. It is um, it is really difficult when trying to become a behaviourist because there's no real set path. Even now, um, there's lots of different routes into it. So everyone's journey is different and this just happens to be how I got into it. Um, so I've always been interested in cats. They've been a passion. I've been sort of born into it, if you like. And um, I knew from the age of 16 that I wanted to be a cat behaviourist. So um, I appreciate no one else tends to know at that age what they want to do. But And this is quite a niche thing to decide you want. Right. It actually came about because I um, I read a book about it uh, okay. from a, an American behaviourist who'd... And then decided, right, from that moment on, that's what I was going to do. So then I made all my career choices based on what I figured I could try and do to become a behaviourist. So with that in mind, I did a a degree in animal behaviour at Anglia Ruskin University in Cambridge. And then um, was very keen to do the vet nursing side of it as well, particularly because um, I thought it would give me a good sort of clinical background. Sure. Um, not as much as you know if I did a full veterinary degree of course but um, it's still really useful if you have a cat that's not using a litter tray to understand about cystitis and things like that so I did um, the uh, MVQ 2 and 3 uh, sort of day release college route sure. for vet nursing yeah, I know right <laughs> <laughs> they let me out sort of, you know once a, once a day to go to college and yeah. and that was great and um, and then after that I went on to do a postgraduate diploma at Southampton University in and never rolls off the tongue companion animal behavioral counseling okay um, and uh, that was really fantastic and that's where we much more specialized in looking at um, cat and dog behavioural problems, yeah. as well as horses, rabbits and parrots yeah. <laughs> thrown in. And um, and then after that, I was lucky enough to get the job here at Cats Protection as the yeah the cat behaviour manager. Yeah, and you've been here ever since, basically. Yeah, it's, yeah. Been, it's been eight years now. <laughs> so what what do you find sort of the most rewarding part of working in a shelter environment? I'm you know, sure, we're getting onto this a bit later. Obviously, there's quite a difference, you know, whether you are in practice or in, yeah. out in the real world, if you want to call it that, compared to a shelter. So what sort of attracted you to it or what did you find rewarding about it? Um, I mean, certainly, I mean, this sounds really biased, but this is the, the dream job for me, being here at Cats Protection. I mean just cats alone it's nice not being a minority anymore and so that everybody around me loves cats as much as I do generally speaking (laughs) but uh, again I'm I'm biased and um, I think also one of the sort of most rewarding parts for me is the fact that you're actually affecting cats on a much bigger scale Um, you don't necessarily see it on a sort of day-to-day or face-to-face way but it is about having that impact and it's not necessarily even a UK wide some I forget regularly like if we put a video out for example that actually it can be seen all over the world which yeah, is ex- really exciting yeah, and yeah. you know if you hear that someone's changed the way they deal with their cat in Australia because of something we did then that's amazing and you know quite rewarding it's really really it? rewarding right. yeah. yeah so can you tell us a bit more about your particular role what so what does it I mean day-to-day you know is it <laughs> the sort of thing as a standard day-to-day or how does it change what do you do what do you get up to so uh yeah I think the first thing is there's definitely no standard day every day is different um 
And oh, there's the short way of saying my role is that I'm, I guess, in charge of the emotional welfare of all the cats in our care. Okay. Um, but the <laughs> the more longer detailed way of talking about it is it's pretty much everything other than seeing the cats face to face. That's quite a common misconception about my role is that they think I've got cats like on a couch somewhere and I'm like, you know, it's telling me their woes. And yeah. and actually, you know, sadly, it's not like that. I wish I could talk to them and they could talk back. But no, so instead, um, I my role covers the whole of the UK. So that's um, all of our adoption centres and branches and, um, and all the cats within. So that's roughly about sort of 6,000 cats at any one time. And... Um, so if any of those cats have uh, got any behavioural problems, etc., then the staff and volunteers can email me or phone me and, and get some advice. I also advise all the departments here um, at the National Cat Centre um, and regionally as well. So it, it's literally anything from um, advising on like the cat accommodation that the cats live in and how to sort of the designs going forwards. Um, I write for our, our in-house uh, magazine called The Cat, mm-hmm. um, which goes out to our members. Um, occasionally write for CP Clinic, which goes out to vet practices as well. Um, and then everything from um, being a sort of uh, media train, so we get to do a bit of, um, well, TV is awesome, but it doesn't happen very often. But, you know, <laughs> radio and newspaper, etc. is great. Um, and then looking over fundraising appeals and things that go out. So it's it's really hugely varied. And again, that's why it's I love it so much. It's so different. Yeah, there's no, like you say, no day is like the other. No day is like yeah. the other. And that's, but but that, I suppose that might also be where some of the challenges lie, isn't it? Just trying to manage <laughs> and get your head around it as well, yeah, isn't it? So definitely. And it's it's a massive job with it's so many cats. It's a big scale that's that we're right. dealing with. How big is the sort of um, behavioural issues within cats protection? Then sort of. Um, you know, have you found that it cha- has changed over years or are there particular things that you see more often or something like that? I'd say the actual main behavioural problems tend have tended to be the same over okay. the years. Interesting. And also it's relatively re- reflective of what you see out in the sort of real world, if you like, as well. Um, what it differs to is the referred um, behaviour cases. So there has been studies done looking at both um, referred behaviour cases to like... Uh, specialist uh, veterinary practices like referral etc versus another study that was done more door-to-door knocking and finding out which owners had you know considered they had issues with their cats but hadn't sought help for it and I think it's not a surprise that we're more in line with seeing the real life what actually happens for people and what they're experiencing rather than what pushes people to actually go and pay for um, advice yeah so our most common issues for example unsurprisingly are the ones that affect people so (laughs) we see a lot of um i'm going to group it together and call it house soiling but you can break that down into spraying and toileting type problems so inappropriate urination defecation those ones are definitely the most common things we see and after that it's aggression towards people because again understandably that's quite a a difficult to yeah, thing to sure. deal with and yeah. and, and quite um, risky as when suit the situation oh yeah think about having kids or elderly people for example involved you know definitely um, cat scratches can be quite nasty can't they real bites in particular yeah and and scary to deal with of course. you know yeah, five sharp <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and you know from both of us being in vet practice we know what that's like you know Absolutely. when cats are Another usually quite stressed in the in the vet practice and um and so, yeah, we have, you know, lots of empathy for those that are facing those issues. Yeah. Um, other issues would be aggression towards other cats. So we see this more um, where we've maybe rehomed a cat and maybe there's resident cats already in that home. And sometimes there can be an integration issue. Um, generally speaking, it's if it's gone a little bit too quickly or, yeah. um, 
you know, all the steps haven't really been put into place and um, the cats themselves have found it all a bit too much. And then there's all sorts of other things. So hiding type behaviours. These ones tend to be um, not as well recognised as mm -hmm. you can imagine. Yes. And also you definitely don't get this picked up on the referred data because imagine, people yeah. don't notice and they certainly won't pay for it. So um, certainly for like one message I always try and get out when I'm chatting to vet practices is to always ask about these sort of more subtle behaviours like hiding um, because owners yeah can easily miss it and then we get other things sort of like over grooming and attention seeking behaviors okay. and not very common at all but something called pika where they eat uh, inedible objects and That's things right. like that yeah, I've so seen a couple of those in practice yeah. <laughs> sort of straight away thinking oh, what's wrong with this cat? yeah exactly <laughs> and so whilst it tends to be sort of like the siamese and other oriental breeds you occasionally get the odd moggy that will do it as yeah, well. No, so I think that's also the other interesting thing, isn't it? I'm, you know, obviously working at Cats Protection, where I think a lot of times it's maybe automatically assumed that cats come in because of behavioural issues. Yeah. That actually it's not really the main reason that we see cats surrendered to us for, is no. it? But it doesn't mean that those cats don't necessarily have issues, isn't it? Like you said, oftentimes yeah, it's a people problem. Exactly. Um, I think scratching behaviour is one that definitely falls into that category. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a survey that's been done by SIVA that shows that... Um, no one really necessarily would raise it as an issue. But if you ask them directly, does your cat scratch the furniture? Then yeah. like a huge percentage of people will say, oh, yes, no, they do yeah. that. And I think a lot of people just accept it as yeah. normal behavior. They put up with it yeah. at least until, until they get the new sofa and then <laughs> yeah. all of a sudden it's a problem. And then it's suddenly really? a problem. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's also interesting where because we deal with so many cases mm. across the whole of the UK, so we're getting quite a good idea of the, the scale of the problems. It's quite interesting sometimes where people's... Um, opinion on what they consider to be a problem is not necessarily in keeping with what we would consider True. a problem yeah. so for example I have had one case whereby the owner wanted to relinquish the cat to cat's protection because it's scratching their carpet and when I asked as I do for anything like this is there anything else going on behaviour issues wise they said oh well you know the cat's a bit aggressive sometimes yeah. you know draws blood etc <laughs> that's not a problem it's the carpet and yeah. again I think most of us would probably agree that aggression would probably be higher up our list of priorities than carpet scratching but everyone's different that so that is true yeah that is true and it's always what changes in that situation as well isn't it yeah and we're seeing quite a wide variety of owners of course yeah. you know across the uk and and as you've mentioned before like lots of different reasons people are handing cats in and and sadly at the moment it seems like um a lot of people are having to go into rented or yeah accommodation that doesn't permit cats for whatever reason so that's why we've got our perfect landlords campaign to try and encourage um, landlords to enable people to keep their cats because yeah. it is one of the big reasons we're seeing cats come in. That's right, yeah. And that's and that's oftentimes so sad, isn't it, where it's just yeah. totally beyond the owner's control and they don't want to give up their cat, but they just feel they have to, isn't that so? Exactly. And I think, so I think that's another misconception sometimes of the charity sector is that we have all the, like, inverted commas, damaged cats, if you like. Well, actually, we have perfectly well-loved cats that right. people are desperately don't want to give up and yeah. have had a really good life, good veterinary care. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like I say, it's very sad, but it's our role to then try and find them new homes. Yeah. So, Nikki, within a shelter, obviously, I think sort of I'd assume, or, well, I'm going to put the question <laughs> to you, basically, with regards to sort of um, behavioural needs and things like that, how do you meet these in a shelter? Or, you know, what do you put in place to try and meet as many of the cats' behavioural needs? Because, again, it all comes back to, obviously, the welfare needs and yes. making sure we meet, need, um, we meet those um, for all the cats in our care, which is obviously a huge task. So what have you put in place or how do you approach these things? So the um, the main thing to put in place is to first of all appreciate what the cats are going through and, and the differences perhaps of 
what they'd face in the home environment compared to being in the shelter because the shelter is quite different in that we have um, particularly in our adoption centers a large number of cats all in quite a small space together mm. um, sometimes depending on the pen design like as in the accommodation design they can actually see other cats which they can find really stressful and the individual uh, pen or like I say individual cat accommodation that the cats live in whilst they're with us is quite a confined narrow space compared to what they're probably used to in the home so that's probably our first hurdle to get past yeah. from a, purely from a behavioral perspective is dealing with that sudden change sudden environmental change different sights sounds smells um the cleaning routines as well they need to get used to so i think just having that appreciation taking a step back and seeing it from their perspective is step one mm -hmm. and then obviously getting everybody within our charity to appreciate that side of things and then we can put in tailored measures to meet those so just as an example um we use um scentless disinfectant across the whole of the charity um, which, again, I think will make a big difference compared to if we had something uh, that was quite strongly scented. be quite an assault on their, <laughs> their strong sense of smell. Yeah. Um, and then, thankfully, the other things that happen are they generally do get a really good, consistent, um, predictable routine, which yeah. is really important. We all know that cats are control freaks. Totally, yeah. <laughs> and I get it. <laughs> we, we get it, yeah. <laughs> so they like to be in control. And, and where we've just changed the whole world coming in here, Anything we can do to give that back makes a big difference. So, you know, they get used to our uniform, which yeah. hilariously is the same colours near enough as to what cats can actually see <laughs> with the blue and yellow. It's like that for a reason, of course. <laughs> yeah. So I like to think that someone thought about that. Um, but they learn very quickly, like, you know, they get fed at the same time, they get cleaned out at the same time. And life becomes quite quickly more predictable for them. Where possible, we try to give them the same caregiver so they get used to that individual person. And the one thing that you'll appreciate, I always talk about, is hiding places. Yay. Yay. It's, it's the my sort of one take home message for everybody, whether you're in vet practice, you're an owner or you're in a shelter, is like always give a cat a place to hide, yeah. even if it's a cardboard box. That's right. And there's been some really interesting research out, isn't it, that we also published in cats, um, in our CP clinic, wasn't it, where they basically showed that if you cover a cat pen over, so for example in a practice, in that's kennel. better than doing nothing. Yeah. But if you put a box in, that is the way to do it, isn't it? The definitely. cat definitely will choose that and would be less stressed for it, isn't it? So Yeah, and I think it's like because it's saying. giving the cat the option that they can physically get themselves Correct. into something. Yeah. So that's the sort of the real key thing. Obviously, like having a hiding place and partially covering like kennel over in vet practice is, is ideal. Um, so they've they've got a bit of the best of both worlds. Um, but yeah, hiding places are amazing. We do have the um, Cats Protection Feline Fort Hide and Sleep Box, which Correct. is commercially available to vet practices. Um, so this is kind of like a plastic box with a couple of holes in it. They can go underneath, they can choose to go up top. It's nice and easy to clean. And we use this throughout all of our adoption centres and yeah. a lot of our branches as well. And the cats love it, isn't they it? They love it's it. It's so interesting to see when someone, yeah. especially the inverted comma ones, shy <laughs> ones come in, when you see at the beginning, they're yeah. right in the back, you know, right at the bottom, all you see is two big eyes. And then as the days go on, you see the cat slowly coming out or sitting on top. And, yeah. you know, literally, again, it's also making use of the 3D space. I think that's the other Definitely. thing we underestimate with cats, isn't it? The fact that they live 3D, not just in sort of two planes, really. And I think that's the thing. It's, it's trying to see things through the cat's eyes and it's so easy yes. to forget because yes. we yeah. do just naturally come through at things from our human perspective so yeah. and it's really hard in that narrow pen space to to give them that sort of um 
everything they need and that 3D space, but certainly having the shelving as well as the cat hides and things like that to allow them to get up high makes a difference. And it's good that you said about sort of them coming in and hiding to start with, but then going up top later on, because we do use that as a welfare indicator to see and monitor how they're coping in care. And certainly we'll use that to think that, you know, they're probably adapting a bit better. So, um, yes, definitely. No, but it, I, again, I think, you know, it's just so nice to know that, you know, obviously the behaviour side of things is so important that it is taken into consideration with every single cat. And again, yes. it's part of that welfare package, isn't it? Because even though the cat might be healthy physically, yeah. if it's not in the right space mentally, that cat is on a welfare scale is still not doing great, isn't it? So Exactly. And that's the thing. Like, welfare encompasses, obviously, as you said, health, both health and behaviour. So. Yeah. And as, is reflected in the five welfare needs as well. So for obvious reasons. Isn't for it? obvious reasons. I mean, obviously, I'm biased, but like you know, it is really important. And you know, I think every vet and nurse appreciates the fact that there's like this complex interplay between health and behaviour, and that the fact that they can, you know, really affect each other, and particularly in terms of stress and yeah, things like that. Right. So when you get when you sort of encountered with behavioural issues here at Cats Protection, how do you approach these cases, or what's your if you had to sort of you know to summarise your approach to it or your plan of action? How yeah. do you go about it? So the first thing I always recommend is <laughs> is it really comes back? I know, and you need a jingle for this <laughs> is to have um, a vet check because you know um, obviously if the cat was you know urinating outside the litter, it could well have a medical problem. So particularly for urination issues, we'd want to have like a, a urine t- sample tested, for example. But um, once we've brought out medical issues, and obviously we are doing this to a shelter medicine perspective as well, so. Mm-hmm. You know, we wouldn't be looking for expensive MRI scans, things like that. Um, we then look at the behaviour side, and then the behaviour side again, we're still looking at it from a behaviour shelter medicine, if you like, perspective, because we still have various constraints in place, um, and that's where we want to find out as much information about the cat, uh, their current situation, their previous history, and then really try as best possible to tailor the advice to that individual cat, right. because every every behavior case is slightly different the triggers are going to be you know different just like they are in in people like different things affect different people differently so that's how we do it and then again provide the advice in such a way that needs to be practical that the person so whether it's a staff member or a volunteer working with that cat can actually achieve and implement Mm. and ultimately making sure that this cat is still a homeable cat at the end of the day i was just about to say that (laughs) because i think that's always with us you know we have to remember that we aren't a sanctuary so all of our cats have to be homeable by the end of it and that has to be the end result isn't it so yeah um so if you've got a cat for example that has been worked with on a behavioral level and you know is deemed to be coping well and it's doing all right and obviously it's then ready for homing and that gets rehomed is any sort of follow-up afterwards or is anything in place to make sure these cats sort of you know settle into the new home because obviously it's another massive yeah. change for a cat to go from a shelter Huge. to a new home as well um how does that work so at present um the paver team for cats protection is a team of two and oh, <laughs> <wow>. <laughs> <laughs> which covered both cover you know, both of us cover the whole of the uk yeah. and therefore as such i've had to cap um our post adoption support to yeah. six months that's still um, quite a lengthy period thank though, you I well you know that. i i think it's Six months should allow like the vast majority of cats to settle into their new home, yeah. and and we will work individually with those owners um, to provide advice. Um, often we'll be continuing the uh, behaviour advice that we've given to the centre with the owners. We're often working with their vet as well. Amazing. And okay. um, and like I say, they can call us, they can email us to get that support. And as I mentioned earlier, like it's particularly important when it comes to integration because we have had a study at Cats Protection which showed that. Um, 38% of our returns were due to poor poor integration, wow, sadly. Okay. Yes, it's yeah. massive. So, 
Um, that's why we work very closely with our owners to make sure because not only do we want obviously a successful homing from the cat's perspective because it's stressful if they were to come back into our care but also you know it's stressful for the owner too so that you know we want them to have a good experience experience. yeah Yeah. Yeah. okay yeah well that sounds like you definitely have your hands full at the best (laughs) times isn't it it is when we home about sort of what is it 45,000 cats every year that's right yeah (laughs) you then think even just a few of them even if it's just one percent or something with Mm. behavioral issues isn't it then that's quite a huge number so if people are interested in sort of behavioral things and you know i know you've got a lot of resources up your sleeve where can they find them or what's available um, to people who would be interested in behaviour or who may be working in shelters and they're thinking, hey, I can do with some help, you know. Yeah. Um, where can they go? Where can they go? Okay, well, certainly from a resource perspective, um, I would certainly recommend the new manual of uh, Shelter Medicine, yeah. but, uh, which is one of the BSAVA manuals. And, um, of course, we have our own behaviour section on the website. Yeah. Um, in terms of um, if they were looking to get hold of qualified behaviourists, um, whether they're recommending it to the public or somebody was thinking about pursuing that route themselves, um, perhaps as a career, then we'd recommend the Animal Behaviour and Training Council. Okay. So that's abtcouncil.org.uk yeah. for their website. And um, this is a got a practitioner list of both behaviourists and trainers because we are different. Yeah. Some people are trained yeah. in both, but yeah. some aren't. And... Um, and that helps people to, uh, one, find qualified practitioners, but also it will be coming in the future or we'll have um, education providers that can get people into those roles as oh, well. So, yeah. like I say, it's not there yet, but it will yeah. be coming. But it's that'll be really, really useful. And especially because um, even if somebody in practice isn't thinking about pursuing it themselves, they often get members of the public asking these questions That's too. Right. So yeah. it's going to be like a good one-stop shop to <laughs> answer all those sorts of questions. <laughs> Um, there's also lots of really good resources on the um, Association of Pet Behaviour Counselors website and also International Cat Care. True, yes. And also you didn't mention our behaviour guide, did you? Yeah. Oh my God, <laughs> how could I not mention that? Oh. <laughs> so yeah, on our Cats Protection website, on the behaviour section, we've got our very own Cats Protection Behaviour Guide, isn't it? That um, contains just about everything you need to know. It's quite a good starting yeah. guide as well, isn't it? And in particular for owners, I think as well, isn't it? Not necessarily approaching the problem cat, but you know, normal cat behaviour. Yeah. Um, and then I think you've recently also just launched with the kitten socialisation site, which is also online <laughs> now. So yeah, <laughs> it's making me blush now. There's plenty of things out there. Plenty of things out there, and certainly from um, a vet practice perspective, um, vet practices are able to get hold of hard copies of the behaviour guide. Yeah. Um, so they can always um, email us um, behaviour at cats.org.uk yeah. uh, to get hold of a hard copy. But we did send out about sort of four and a half thousand hard copies in 2017. Yeah. And we also take them to BSAVA yeah, um, and, and, and BVNA. 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 And if we go to student affairs, it's yeah. we'll normally get, take them along as well. But definitely a good one to have. <laughs> the <shelf. laughs> Thank you. <laughs> is there anything else you want to add, Nikki? Or is it um, you covered everything? Anything else you think? I think um I think that's the main things yeah, I, I think, think we've covered, covered. yeah think definitely the most important one is the vet check behavior guide. Vet check check behaviors. Behavior. yeah so. definitely <laughs> I know and that's the difficult thing with the behavior topics I mean you could talk about it for like weeks but yeah, you know but I appreciate it. everyone's busy and <laughs> yeah. yeah okay cool well I think we'll leave it there and as I said you know we'll definitely be coming back with various different behavioural issues um, over sort of the you know the course of probably at least the year if not after that like you say there's plenty of stuff to talk about so thank you very much for joining us today it's been great to hear about your story and that's your okay background. thank you and um, yeah we'll catch up again soon great thanks Sandra bye, bye.